Well, going to start something new. Actually, in the next nine weeks, I want to go through uh, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, back in 1863, there was a Russian chemist named Dmitry Mendeleev. And he had a dream. He actually was asleep, had a dream, and he saw a table with all the elements ordered according to their atomic weight and chemical properties. And then he woke up and he made that table, what we call the, the periodic table of elements that you guys might remember back in high school when you took your science classes. It, it all came from him from having this dream. And, and this table has all these properties that has been a part of, you know, science for so long and I think there are some properties in the fruit of the Spirit that are helpful for our lives. That this fruit of the Spirit, and even though the word is singular, what these each these different things contain are things that help us to actually live the right life. Jesus said in John fifteen five, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Our lives are supposed to produce something, and this fruit that he talks about in Genesis is part of what we're supposed to produce. Um, this table of elements, as I'm going to call it in Scripture, the fruit of the Spirit, has the ability to actually shape our lives, to actually change us. You know, I, I think so many times I want to be a better person. There's times where it, it really presses on me, usually at those times when I've failed to be compassionate, where I've been selfish, where I've been oblivious to the needs, and you know I've become aware of it. Those are the times when I think, man, I really want to be a better human being. But then you, know, you think, well, what do I have to do? Oh, I've got to try harder. Well, we have to allow these things to really develop in our lives to, to grow. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Then he says, against such things there is no law, which is very interesting. That, that idea, that little sentence, against these things there is no law. To, to say that at, at a time when the law was pervasive and weighing heavy down on them because of the Roman government, he says, if these things are in our lives, there is no law that can stop these things, right? You can't make a law and say, hey, sorry, you're being too kind. You're being too gentle. We need a law to stop your patience. We need a law to stop your, you know, uh, gentleness, there's no law that can stop these things. And so these elements can actually shape our lives so that they cannot be stopped by the forces outside of us. And so I want to take each of these, and we're going to have basically nine, uh, since there's nine that he mentions here, well, for the next nine weeks, we're going to talk about each one of these. And so the first one today is love. I mean, and love is like the mother of all the fruit, right? It's the big one. You know, at first you think, oh, love, okay. 
I don't know about you, but my mind kind of goes to, okay, yeah, I've heard talks about love. I know about love. I know about love. But love is so vast and so encompassing, it's a little intimidating to really talk about it and to give a, a sense of depth to it. I mean, we, we can talk, oh, Jesus loves us, so there's an example of love. But how is it supposed to be seen in our life? And what is this idea of fruit? How does love become a fruit in our life? And I was thinking about, you know, fruit. Fruit is amazing stuff, right? It's nutritious. It's sweet. It's like good for life. You know, I mean, it's just a great source of enjoyment. I mean, and really it's life giving. It's the end of a process. And I can remember specific times in my life where fruit like made my day. Has anyone had a time where you've had like that peach that was just like the best peach ever or a summer when watermelon was out? And thank God for seedless watermelon. You know, because, man, I love seedless water and you just no seeds. I'm just going to take this being at the beach and having a, a nice piece of watermelon that's juicy, tasty. I mean, it, it's so refreshing. It's just a gift from God. I mean, it really is an amazing thing. And that's really the idea here is that Paul is living in the Mediterranean basin. The idea of fruit of figs and these kinds of things are something that are, you know, just engaging. They they think about fruit as something not only nutritious, but something enjoyable. And I wonder if we lose sight of that. Is the, the idea of the fruit of the Spirit or even love something that we think of as something we can enjoy? Or do we start thinking of it as something we have to labor to? I have to love. Well, don't you want to love? Oh, I have to do this. Well, isn't that something we want? It's like, oh man, I can't wait to get that. You know, we got some, some fresh strawberries. I can't wait to get home and eat them. We have that same feeling towards these things, the, the fruit of the Spirit. As he writes these things, I hope that that can be something that we can look into. So where do I start as, as we talk about love? I mean... Think about love and how it encompasses so much of our society. All the songs that have been written. How many songs do you like that are, quote, love songs? You know, that have, you know, affected you emotionally at some point or another. Um, poems. Almost every movie or everything you see has some kind of love element to it. Even if they're slasher films, there's some kind of romantic problem in it, right? You know, that, that adds a dynamic. And the reason that that is so prevalent is because love captures us. It, it draws us. The idea of love is something that we want. It's something that we need. It's something that we actually hunger for. And it's something that actually is consuming. It's so consuming about, you know, what love is that the idea of love will grab our attention, and it shouldn't surprise us that it's at the heart of God. It's the center of who he is and the motive of everything that he does for us. Love is the core of all that is real, that is human, and all that is meaningful. Love is at the foundation of those things. It's at the heart of those things. When you look at great families, you see a family. What stands out to you in a great family? They love. 
They, they care about each other. When you, you see a great cause, you know, there's a, a, a non-profit that's doing something good. It's motivated by love, and, and those are the things that make something great. When you see a great marriage, great business even, great causes, great movements, love is at the core of them. And so it really is something that is foundational to our life. And I'm going to give you a a different definition of love. I heard this and I thought it was real interesting because it says love is the accurate estimate and the adequate supply of another person's need. And then I'm going to kind of go through that so you can kind of say, what does that mean? Love is the accurate estimate and the adequate supply of another person's need. So let's take John 3.16, for example, and try and put this in that kind of frame. For God so loved, say Sam, God so loved Sam Scotty that he accurately estimated that Sam was broken, that Sam was in need. And needed to be restored. Therefore, he adequately supplied a redeemer in the person of Jesus Christ so that Sam would not perish but have life in God forever. You see, love is the accurate estimate. It sees the need and then it adequately supplies the need of someone else. And so this is the challenge of love that we are able to accurately estimate the need of someone and then adequately supply that need. But we have to recognize that no person can adequately supply all of our needs. God has to come into that picture. There's no way that I can adequately supply all of Corrine's needs or vice versa. We need More than that, we need God to step in and be the one who provides me with the the care, provides me with the understanding, makes up for my lack and my inability to love as she needs, and then she can adequately get what she needs because God is supplying that, but I'm supposed to be a part of it. And, And so it's real important that we recognize these things, and we understand them working together. And so we want to step into this role of recognition that love is that estimating accurately and adequately supplying the needs and that God is the one who does it. You see, man is not valuable because he loves God. We are valuable because God loves us. This isn't about performance. This isn't about you doing enough that makes you good enough. It's about grace. We love him because he first loved us. Jesus said it this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Quoting the Torah, this is what rests everything is on these things. John said it in this way, God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Paul said this, this is love, that God demonstrates his love for us and while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. They're all expressing this idea of love and God's grace, that God is the one who extends himself for us and these are all action verbs. It's all the use of the word agape where it is something that is actually active. It's not a feeling, it's a demonstration. 
I don't know if you guys have read Bob Goff's book, Love Does, but I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. And he just goes through all these different stories and talks about how love is seen in these stories throughout his life. Because love does. It's not love feels, love does. And so now God has stepped in and done for us, and now we get to be a part of that. This this love It's used in these areas and there is no law against it. There is no stopping it. This this love cannot be hindered by outside circumstances. And so the fruit of the Spirit, the first part is that this love that comes from God that is active, that is demonstrated through what Jesus does is now supposed to show up in us. The love that captivates audiences, that sells albums, is now supposed to be seen in us. And so, what does this love look like? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, in between chapters 12 and 14, he's talking about how these are the areas that you're gifted in, the the gifts of the Spirit, and you're supposed to have this working in you. And he says, you know, even if you had all these gifts, if you were able to tell mountains you could be moved away, but you don't have love, that they're meaningless, that they don't amount to anything. If you don't have love, all your ability is really valueless because love is what gives it the value. And then in chapter 13, the love chapter we know, he starts to unfold some of these things, you know, to help us see what this love looks like. And if I speak of tongues of men of angels do not have love, I am a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And so then he gives a description. So what is love? What what does it look like? What is this love that can't be stopped, that there's no law against. I mean, you can have laws against free speech, laws against assembling together, but there is not a law that can stop a human being from loving. It's unstoppable. What does that look like? And he says, first of all, love is patient and kind. Patient and kind. They did a study and they asked women, what they were looking for in a man. And the number one answer, hands down, was I want someone who's kind and considerate. It wasn't I want a guy who works out, I want a guy who has good hair. You know, it wasn't a guy with money. Number one answer over everything was kind and considerate. When someone is kind, it moves us. When someone shows kindness to us, it it causes a response in us. And it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Someone shows you this kindness and it causes something to stir in you to want to reciprocate that kindness. There's a story of a place, it's called North Platte in Nebraska. And in World War II... 
when the soldiers were heading to Europe, they would make a stop in North Platte, Nebraska. And Bob Green wrote about this in a book called Once Upon a Town. And what the ladies did, all the women, 100 miles from this town did, is, is they kind of made a pact together that they were not going to let any train stop at that town with those soldiers on without someone being there to show kindness to these soldiers. And so they would stop in North Platte, Nebraska. They had to have a 10-minute break while they refueled and everything, got the supplies taken care of, and then they'd get back on the train. And every time they stopped, there were women there to show kindness to these guys, to, to give them a hug. And as Bob was talking about this, he would talk to veterans and he would say, tell me about North Platte, Nebraska. And these veterans would start tearing up and they would start crying. He said, why are, why are you crying? And he said, because we were going to God knows where. We had no idea where we were going to God knows what. We didn't even know if we were going to come back. And it would be two in the morning and we'd get off the train and there are these women there. They're like our mom. They're like our, our aunts. They're like our sisters. They're like our grandmothers. And all they did was show us kindness. They gave us a hug and said, God bless you. We're praying for you. And it stuck in them for the rest of that war, so that after it, they looked back and it moved them that someone would take the time and show kindness to them. Sometimes there were 32 train stops in one day. And not once did a man get off that train without someone showing them kindness. And it affected them. It's meant to affect us. And that's what kindness does. And again, it's unstoppable. You can show kindness and there is no law that can stop it. It is a power in your life, in my life, to bring the change in someone else's life. Even at 2 a.m. on a train headed to who knows where, it can make a difference. And that's what we want to see. He goes on and he says, Basically, now, what love doesn't do. Okay, we see love is patient, love is kind. And then he tells us, it does not envy. It doesn't want your stuff. It doesn't want your position. It doesn't want your friends. It doesn't want your status. Love doesn't want what you have. And when we live in a world that envy is part of what sells. I mean, you look on TV and I want that car, and I want that hair, and I want that body, and I want that. You know, you, you see these things, and it's like, well, I want that. But love doesn't want what you have. It's not envious. And so when we start seeing these things in us, we know that it's not a part of this love that can change things that is unlimited. And it says that it doesn't boast. It doesn't compare itself to others what we are better than at others than others. It's not saying, well, you know what I did today and you know what I can do. And it's not about that boasting. It's not proud. It doesn't say, look at me. It does not dishonor others. It does not belittle or throw you under the bus. It doesn't put you down. Love doesn't try to make itself better by putting others lower. It's not self-seeking. 
all of these are related. It's all a priority towards self rather than others, right? Notice that these things, you know, about boasting, proud, self-seeking, they're all self-centered. And you think of self-seeking. When you walk into a room, does your presence say, look at me? Or when you walk into a room, does your presence say, well, there you are. What is your presence doing? When you walk in, hey, everyone, I'm here. Or do you walk in the room and say, hey, there you are. You see, that's the difference. We want to be the people who, who walk in the room and go, hey, there you are. Why? Because I'm con- caring more about you than I want you to care about me. And I think that's just a beautiful picture of looking at that. That it sets the stage for how God can work in a situation. Have you ever gone someplace or had someone come in and they acknowledged you? Hey, how are you? And it makes you feel good. Hey, I must be a VIP. You know, I'm an important person. They acknowledge me. It, it, it does something in you. And that's what we want. It's not self-seeking, but it's seeking someone else out. See, this is what love is supposed to be. And what if we were those kinds of people who always were looking and say, hey, there you are. I've been thinking about you. I'm so glad to see you. I, I know that there's been times in my life and people who I've seen. There was a, a time a while back, a few months ago, where someone came to Genesis on a Sunday morning and I had been thinking about them, hadn't seen them in a long time. And they came and I saw them and I was just like, oh, my eyes lit up and I ran to him. I gave him a hug. And I go, man, I've been thinking about you. It's so good to see you. And it overwhelmed him. He started tearing up because, oh, man, you know, you missed me. It's like, man, I was thinking about you and, and it, you know, it, it did as much for me as it did for them. But it really moved them just that I would take that time and be so, man, I'm so glad to see you. It really was encouraging to me and it really moved them. That's the whole idea of it not being self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Ooh. What makes us angry? You know, what really makes us angry is when our will gets thwarted. When what I want to do gets derailed. That's when I get angry. This is what I want. Oh, I can't do it. Now I'm mad. I wanted to go here, but you were late. So now I'm angry with you. Why? Because I didn't get to go where I wanted because you were late. You see, anger is connected to the things that we want and us not getting what we want. And that's not love. Just because you didn't get what you want doesn't mean you get to be angry. That's not the example. And notice it says not easily angered. It doesn't mean love can't be angry, but it's not easily angered. In other words, it's not, again, self-centered. It's not about me. Keeps no records of wrong. Now, that one's difficult. See, I tend to keep a video record in my mind of wrongs. You know, some people keep ledgers because they're old school. I've got a terabyte in my mind, and I can replay the conversations, the words. I know the time of day. 
I know the temperature of the room. I know the clothes they were wearing. I have this reel in my mind, even though it's digital and there's no reel anymore. I can rehearse these things over and over and over again. I was standing here. You were standing there. I was wearing this. You were wearing this. You said these words. And this is how I felt. That's hard not to keep a record of wrong. Whatever that is, that's not love. Whatever that is, that's not something that is going to be conducive to this fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's not going to help us and it's not going to move our lives forward. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. So we don't say, oh, I hope they get theirs. Now, I got to tell you, there are times when people, especially if they've, I feel, done me wrong, and then something happens to them, part of me thinks, got yours. I, I, I hate to admit it, but it's true. I get this sense in me, and I have to stop, and I have to say, just stop that. That's not right. That's not love. I don't want to be that kind of person that harbors that feeling. It doesn't matter. I don't want evil for you. I don't delight in that. It doesn't think evil, but rejoices with truth. How many times do you think the worst about someone? Why? That's not what love does. So what does love do? He goes on and he says, it always protects. Again, we talked about that Sunday, the word stego. The word protect also means to suffer. It bears. And I think of a mom when her child is in danger. What does she do? She instinctively runs to that child. It doesn't matter if her life is in danger because she's got to take care of her child, that action. And there's so many examples where we see those kinds of things happen, where people have put themselves at risk because they care so much. I mean, that's an example of love. It it protects. And when we see things like that, like firemen running into a building that's burning down, we think, man, that's powerful. It is. It's divine. This is part of the attributes that are who God is, that we are drawn to that movies are made about, that our lives desire, well, it can change us if we allow these things to be a part of us. Always trusts. First response when you hear bad news is, I don't believe that. You know, Corrine did this. I don't believe that about her. I think more of her than that. Now, if she did do it, my first reaction was still, I believe in her. I I believe that she's better than that. It wants that. Always hopes. You know, something goes wrong and you think, ah, it's okay, we'll try better tomorrow. We'll try it again. We're going to go through it. It hopes. Hope is always future tense. Love has a future. It doesn't quit at the moment. Now, it also always perseveres. How much is enough? When do I get to throw in the towel? What if God said that to us? Now, I understand that there's a point where we can actually enable someone's problem behavior. 
And this is the characteristics of God's love. It's the characteristics of what we are to have in ourselves. But we are living in a broken world. And so, you know, we have to worry about abuse. We have to worry about people harming us or taking advantage in a way that causes problems for children or for us. Um, But this is how God's love looks. And this is the heart of what we want love to look like in us. And so there's no easy answer to say, well, what about my situation with this circumstance? All I can do is say, this is what love looks like. How can you get to what love is supposed to be from where you are? What what can you do that matches what God looks like in your circumstances? How can we get this love to start showing up in our lives? Because he says that love, God's love, never fails. And that's what we want in our lives, is a love that doesn't fail. A love that actually grows. Because this love's magnetic. It's drawing life to itself. When the kids were young and Corrine and I would be hugging in the kitchen, it was so fun. They'd always want to run and get in the middle because something good's going on there we want in on. And they'd be all of us, you know, there and they just want to get in there. Why? Because love is magnetic. They, they want to be in the middle of that affection. You know, you, you see stories or you think, hear things. There's some a video that's been out for a while, Richard Hoyt. He's a young man who has cerebral palsy. He's in a wheelchair, and he wanted to run a 5K race, but he's in a wheelchair, so his dad actually did the Ironman with his son. He actually swam with his son in the raft. He actually put his son on the bike, pedaled and rode the bike with his son, and actually got a wheelchair and ran the marathon with his son. And at the end of the video, you see the son, and he's all just like shaking his head like, I did it, I did it. And you're looking at his dad, who's behind him, pushing him, who really did it, but the dad did it just for his son. And those kinds of things move us. You see, the condition of his son didn't affect his love for him, his affection for him. He loved him in spite of the fact that he was disabled. He loved him and cared about what his son wanted, even though it cost him a great deal. And when we see things like that, we recognize what love is supposed to be in us. And you see, we don't need more laws. Laws cannot do what love does. We need more love. Where love stops, that's where laws begin. And so, think about that in in a you know, election year. That what really needs to happen isn't more control. You know, you can have all the gun control you want, but if there's not love, you're still going to have problems. You can 
take down the Ten Commandments, it doesn't stop love from working. You see, love doesn't end. Laws only come into place when love stops. And so we get so hung up on the laws that are there because we want laws to do what love is supposed to. And they never will. They never will. A while back, I wrote a a poem for one of my boys. It was called Love Never Sleeps. I was trying to find it, but I didn't have time. I couldn't find it. But it was based on Psalm 121 where the Lord says, I do not sleep, neither do I slumber. And to have the idea that, you know, anytime we are in need, we can come to God. And that was kind of the gist of my my poem as my son would call me sometimes at two, three in the morning and then he would apologize for calling so late. And I would say, it's okay, if you ever need to call, call me. Because love doesn't sleep. And that's really the idea of love, that God doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber, he's always there for us. That is our example. And so... I want to encourage us tonight to not be lawbreakers. And I want to encourage us tonight that we would be way more than law abiders. I want to encourage us tonight to be law overwhelmers. That the love we have cannot be stopped because it is so strong there is no law that would be able to hinder When I read 1 Corinthians 13, I know for so many years I've heard it said, you know, well, take out the word love and put Jesus' name in there. And it does fit. You know, Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Does not envy. But what I want is that when I die at my funeral, that my family can put my name in there and they say, that was him. That's what I want. I want them to say Sam was patient, Sam was kind, he did not envy, he did not boast, he was not proud, he did not dishonor, he was not self-seeking, he was not easily angered, he kept no record of wrong, he didn't delight in evil but rejoiced with the truth, he always protected, always trust, always hoped, always persevered. I want that to be my epitaph. I'm not there. But that's what I want. That's the kind of man I want to be. That's the kind of person I want people to see. Because this is life to me as much as it is life-giving to other people. That's what the fruit of the Spirit means. It's producing. This is the end of what's being produced in our lives. And so I want this to be something that is evident in all of us. It's supposed to be. Jesus said, they will know you're my followers because you love one another. Let's make that a reality. Let's pray. Lord, I want love to mean more than a word. Lord, I've heard definitions and songs and stories and films about love, but I don't ever want it to be reduced to just that. 
I want it to be produced in my life, God. I want to be a person who loves because you love. And Lord, may these characteristics of what love is be seen in us. And Lord, in our circumstances where we are, may we see how love can help us through the circumstances. May we not give up on love itself, but may we try and move our lives forward in what love looks like. And so, God, maybe we need to be kind. Maybe we need to be patient. Lord, maybe we need to have these characteristics show up in some way and somehow, Lord. But Lord, may we not give up. May we continue to hope. May we continue to persevere. May we desire you to produce this within us. Lord, I know that there are times where we struggle. And we just feel like we don't want to love anymore. And we've been hurt. Or maybe we've hurt. And we think it's too late. And we give up on this hope, God. But I pray for everyone here tonight, Lord. That love would resurge within our souls. Lord, that this incredible idea of what can be would become a reality in us, Lord. And that we would never stop pursuing this and allowing it to be something that develops in us. And I pray that you would encourage us with these words. And I do ask it in Jesus' name.